Okay, we're going back to our uh, booklet study, our survey of the Old Testament uh, this evening. I hope um, hope you brought yours back. If you need one uh, this evening, we have a pile right here, and Brother Andrew would be glad to uh, bring one to you. Uh, we do know we do need uh, cooperation, though, when we hand these out. Um, we need to remember to bring them back. Uh, the next week it would take us um, usually, usually more than um, more than one week to get through a booklet. Um, but we're on the number one, the patriarchal age. We'll be finishing that one uh, this evening. So we totally understand that we need extra uh, booklets on hand because um, we do forget or other things coming up come up. Um, where we won't have a booklet, but do your best uh, to remember your booklet uh, each Sunday evening. We'll be handing out a new one, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday evening. We got to page um, number 13, I believe it is. Number 13, I can't believe I stopped on page 13, but it'll be okay. Um, Page 13 with Abraham and Isaac. Start right there, page 13, Abraham and Isaac. What we're doing, we're reading through these paragraphs uh, together. If you are wondering about the little fill-in-the-blanks there, what value they are, originally, um, when they printed these booklets, they want you to create for yourself a little one-by- uh, whatever strip of paper, and place that over the answers, and then go back and read the questions with the answers covered up to review yourself. Okay, there's also review questions in the back of each of the booklets, but that's the idea: is create your one by uh, little piece of paper, put it over the answers down like that, and then go back and read the questions and see see what you remember. And so. Um, my wife cut up a few of these if you want to come get one of these after service. It's real easy uh, to do, of course. Um, try to imagine as we read through this, a, a lot of this is familiar to you. Everything in the Bible is good to, good to review. But as you read through this, try to imagine yourself sitting down with someone who is not familiar with the gospel of Jesus. Uh, whether it might be a neighbor or someone that you have been talking to about the church for some time. Perhaps it's a grandchild that has now learned to read or, or your own child that's now learned to read and you want to go through uh, these booklets uh, with them. Uh, try to imagine doing that and try to pick up on some uh, little points you might want to make as uh, you move through. I stop every once in a while and make a point or two, but that's just from my viewpoint. That might not be the viewpoint that you have. As you study with someone a booklet like this, you do want to keep reminding yourself and the one you are reading with uh, that we are doing this in order to understand more about salvation in Christ. This is not a detailed study. It's a survey of the Bible so that one can understand better the salvation that God has planned for us through His Son, uh, Jesus. And you'll see that right away. This is just a survey. Let's get started here. Uh, number 38 on page 13. Number 38 on page 13. Here we go. 
Abraham and Isaac enter Bible history nine generations after the flood. During those intervening years, Noah's descendants lost faith in God. They defied him in attempting to build the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. After God scattered the people, the population kept expanding. With the increase in the earth's population came also an increase in sin. little note there in Genesis 11, remember the two big things about the Tower of Babel. One, the people wanted to make a name for themselves. They became full of pride. And secondly, they were defying a commandment of God. And that is in Genesis 9, verse 1, after the flood, God's command was be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And here they were gathering in the plain of Shinar, and they were defying the commandment of God. And this is why God would confuse them and scatter them upon the earth. So Abraham and Isaac. During this confused and sinful time, number 39, during this confused and sinful time, God chose Abram, who, like Noah centuries before, stood above his generation. He wanted to please God. Because of his unquestioning faith, Abram loved and obeyed God. God directed Abram to leave his country and his relatives. He said, get out of your country, from your kindred and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Together with other great promises, God promised Abram that in his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The promised seed was Christ, Galatians 3, 16. And you want to stop right there and make that point uh, really clear. We want to notice Christ as Abraham's seed, but also we want to be part of that. In Galatians 3, 27, when we are baptized into Christ, we put on Christ. Galatians 3.29 then, right after that, explains to us that if we belong to Christ, then we are Abraham's seed and we are heirs according to the promise. So we want to see Christ come through Abraham's seed, but we also want to be involved by obeying Christ. We want to be involved in this long-standing promise of God. So notice number 38 and 39 there on page 13. Number 40, later God renewed his promise to Abram on several occasions. He promised that Abram's children would be numberless as the sand on the seashore and the stars of the sky. But at the time of this promise, Abram was childless. He was childless, and he was growing old. When Abram, which means exalted father, was 99 years old, God changed his name to Abraham, a father of a multitude, and reconfirmed all his promises. That change of name is found in Genesis chapter 17. Now let's turn the page. Top of the next page, number 41, eventually God appeared to Abraham in the form of three men with good news. He revealed to Abraham that soon he and Sarah would have a son. God was now beginning to fulfill his promise uh, to Abraham. When Sarah, number 42, when Sarah overheard their conversation, she laughed to herself because she and Abraham were almost 100 years old, far too old to become parents. But later Abraham could thank God time and again for his son Isaac. Isaac was born according to God's promise within a year after Sarah laughed. Now, you, re- you read about Sarah laughing in Genesis 18, but if you back up to Genesis 17, 17, when God first said this to, to Abraham, Abraham laughed also. And he said, Oh, that Ishmael would live before you, Lord. Oh, that Ishmael. See, they had concocted a plan, you know, through Hagar, and there's Ishmael, Abraham's son. And Abraham thought, well, 
Lord, you're going to bless me through Ishmael. No, not, not through Ishmael, but rather through Sarah and Isaac you're going to be blessed. So both Abraham and Sarah uh, did not fully believe at first, but they did grow in their faith. Number, uh, number 43, when Isaac grew up, Abraham sent, sent him back to his own people to find a wife uh, for him. Rebekah consented to become Isaac's wife. Like Sarah, Isaac's mother, Rebekah, Isaac's wife, was unable to bear children for a long time. However, when Isaac pleaded with God for children, he blessed them with the birth of twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Number 44, Jacob and Joseph are the next famous Bible characters in line. Jacob, one of Isaac's twins, uh, eventually became the father of 12 sons. Among these 12 sons was Joseph, one of the best-known men of the Bible. Now, right there, just in those few paragraphs, a lot of Bible history is just skipped right over. Very messy time in Bible history. But uh, nonetheless, we're just hitting the highlights here to focus on the salvation that can be in Christ. Top of, top of next page, number 45. Joseph was the firstborn son of Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel. He was born after his father was old. Therefore, Jacob was partial to Joseph. He gave him a fancy coat of many colors. Because of this partiality, the older brothers uh, resented Joseph. Despite his troubled life, though, Joseph found happiness because of his deep faith in the Heavenly Father. Number 46. While still a boy, Joseph dreamed that his brother's sheaves bowed down to his sheep. He also dreamed that the heavenly bodies bowed down to him. These dreams were a prediction that the time would come when his brothers and parents would bow before him. These dreams increased his brother's envy, but later events fulfilled these predictions. God was speaking to Joseph through these dreams. Not just to Joseph, but God was speaking to his family and to the entire world through these dreams. Number 47. When Joseph was about 17 years old, his father Jacob sent him to see about his brothers. They were herding sheep about 50 miles away. This was a dangerous mission. Joseph's brothers hated him. He departed little knowing that he would not see his father again for 22 years. That's in Genesis 37. Number 48, Joseph in Egypt is an appropriate title for the rest of Joseph's life. The Bible tells how Joseph's brothers sold him to slave traders. The slavers sold him to an Egyptian officer, but ultimately Joseph rose to the second highest position over Egypt. Next page. On top, number 49, explaining all this about Joseph and his brothers. When Joseph arrived at his brother's camp, they took him prisoner. They stripped him of his beautiful coat. They threw him into a pit and sat down to eat, devoid of pity, uh, any pity for their own brother. When a caravan headed for Egypt uh, came by, the brothers sold Joseph to them as a slave. They dipped his many-colored coat in goat's blood in order to deceive their father. When they showed their father the bloody coat, he concluded that Joseph had been killed by a wild beast. For years, he mourned Joseph's death. Number 50. In Egypt, Joseph was sold to Potiphar, captain of the guard. Potiphar soon placed Joseph over all his financial affairs. This was a very prestigious position. Things went well until Potiphar's wife fell in love with Joseph. 
When he did not respond to her, she lied to her husband. She accused Joseph of making advances towards her. Potiphar believed his wife, and in anger he put Joseph in prison. Number 51, even in prison, Joseph continued to experience God's protection and care. Soon he was placed in charge of all the other prisoners. God also empowered Joseph to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh's butler and baker who were in the prison as well. The butler dreamed that he again served wine to the king. The baker dreamed that his bread was eaten by birds. Joseph told the butler that his dream meant that he would be restored. He told the baker that his dream meant he would be hanged. And so both predictions came true. 52, about two years later, two years later, Pharaoh had a dream. He saw seven fat cows come up out of the Nile River. The fat cows were eaten by the seven lean cows, but the lean cows did not grow any fatter. And then in a similar dream, the king saw seven full ears of grain swallowed up by seven lean ears, but the lean ears grew no larger. None of the king's wise men or magicians or servants were able to interpret the dream. 54, finally, the king's butler remembered how Joseph had interpreted his dream in prison two years previously. Immediately, Pharaoh summoned Joseph from prison to interpret his dreams. After stating that only God could interpret dreams, Joseph revealed that the fat cows and fat ears of grain meant seven years of plenty, but the lean cows and lean ears meant that a seven-year famine was on its way. Now, what I like to emphasize there is his statement about how only God. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah, Genesis 40 and verse 8, and then Genesis 41, 16, Joseph emphasizes how the only God, this is not me doing this, Joseph explains. This is God doing this. This is an excellent thing to bring out when you're studying the Bible. You want to get the attention off of human beings. We want to focus on God. Focus on God's word. That this is what God would have us to do. We want to focus on God's will and what he would have us to do. And we want to keep the focus there. And so I, I really appreciate Joseph uh, bringing that out. And it was so very true. Joseph was a man of great faith uh, in God Almighty. Number 55 the king was so impressed that he placed Joseph in charge of gathering grain for the coming famine. Joseph was exalted to be the ruler of all Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. In recent years, great underground bins with hundreds of tons capacity have been discovered in Egypt. These bins resemble huge cisterns. Scholars believe that these bins are the ruins of these ancient granaries that, that Joseph uh, had created for that during those seven full years. Number 56, after seven prosperous years, a severe famine descended on the biblical world, including the land of Canaan. Joseph's brothers were forced to come from Canaan to Egypt to buy food. They had to bow down before the Egyptian ruler to make their request, and that ruler was Joseph. But 21 years had gone by, and the brothers did not recognize him. As they bowed down before Joseph, his childhood dreams were being fulfilled. Next page, page number 18 on top, number 57. Later, Joseph identified himself to his brothers. Since he believed his presence in Egypt was in keeping with God's plans, 
he forgave them for selling him as a slave. He then introduced his brothers to Pharaoh, who welcomed them to Egypt. At Pharaoh's invitation, their father Jacob moved all of his descendants and all of his possessions to Egypt. They settled in Goshen, one of Egypt's choicest areas to live. There they dwelled uh, for several generations. They grew into a mighty people known as the children of Israel, or simply the Israelites. This is key to being able to forgive. This is key in order to have the compassion we need uh, to reach out to lost souls, and that is to keep to keep God's plan in mind, the big picture of God's plan. What is, what is God trying to do on the earth? That's what Joseph was able to do. He kept that big picture in mind. He understood that God was using him to preserve life. And so therefore, he's not going to be resentful toward his brothers. He's not going to be resentful toward anybody. He's going to keep faith in God. That is very key to having a forgiving spirit and a heart of compassion for others. Number 58, Joseph died when he was 110 years old. He had known that his people would return to the promised land someday. He took an oath from them, from them that they would preserve his body and carry it with them for burial in Canaan. This promise was finally fulfilled many years later under the leadership of Moses and Joshua. Number 59, Moses' birth occurred many years after Joseph died. A new ruler had come to the Egyptian throne. He began to persecute Joseph's people in spite of all that Joseph had done for Egypt. He made their lives unbearable through merciless slavery and other inhuman treatment. Moses was born during this time. Number 60. To reduce the number of Israelites in Egypt, the wicked king had ordered that as soon as an Israelite son was born, he should be thrown into the Nile River. But the mother of Moses saved her son. She prepared a special basket and set baby Moses afloat on the Nile River in the reeds just off uh, the shore. Number 61, Pharaoh's daughter found baby Moses. She loved him immediately. She decided to rear him in the royal palace as her own son. In the providence of God, the princess allowed Miriam, Moses' sister, to select a Hebrew nurse for the child. In this way, Moses' own mother was employed to take care of him. This familiar story demonstrates God's providential love and care for his people. One verse I love along those lines is Philippians 4.19, where God assured the brethren there in Philippi that his God would supply all their needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply all of our needs according to his own riches, his own power and glory. Philippians 4, 19. Number 62, with his own mother for his nurse, Moses learned that he was one of God's chosen people, a Hebrew or Israelite. As Moses grew older, he became increasingly unhappy at the cruel treatment his people received at the hands of the uh, Egyptians. 63. Moses' resentment for the Egyptians continued to intensify. At the age of 40, he killed an Egyptian slave driver whom he saw beating one of his fellow Hebrews. Moses had made his choice. He had made his choice to defend God's people rather than to enjoy the opportunities of the king's palace. Fearing for his life, Moses fled into the land of Midian. 
There he served as a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years. We remember Hebrews 11 talking about Moses' faith and the choices that he made. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He accounted the reproach of Christ of greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. And so many of these faithful men like Joseph and Moses and others are mentioned there in Hebrews uh, chapter 11. So Moses had made his choice. Number 64, Moses freed Israel after God had made him ready for the task. The many challenges of the wilderness helped to prepare Moses for the greatest work of his life, leading God's people out of Egyptian slavery. Notice the uniqueness of Moses' training. First 40 years in the Egyptian palace, the second 40 years out in the wilderness keeping of the sheep. Moses was being prepared by God uh, for this ultimate role of leading God's people out of slavery. Number 65, top of the next page, God's call came to Moses in a very unusual way. He spoke to Moses from a bush that was on fire but did not burn up. Moses, Moses, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses returned to Egypt. He was welcomed by his enslaved Israelites. Working with his brother Aaron as his spokesman, Moses set out to free God's people. Number 67. Moses and Aaron soon were allowed to appear before Pharaoh. They told him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go. Pharaoh replied with contempt, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And during a later visit, Aaron demonstrated God's power. He threw down his rod and it became a snake. Notice the statement there, the question that Pharaoh asked, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Even worldly people understand that after you gain knowledge, as Andrew was pointing out this morning, after knowledge should come action, should come doing of God's will, should, should come obedience. So even Pharaoh understood that if, that if he was to know the real true Lord, then he would be expected to obey uh, his voice. But he did not know the Lord. Okay. Uh, 68. At first Pharaoh was not impressed because his court magicians also produced snakes. But Aaron's snake swallowed up all the other snakes. This showed that no other power could cope with the power of the Almighty God. But Pharaoh was stubborn. He still denied the Israelites their freedom. 69. Moses immediately demanded that Pharaoh release the Israelites. Again, Pharaoh refused. As a result, he and his people suffered grievous plagues at the hand of God. God cursed the Egyptians with ten great plagues, including lice, including lice, frogs, water turning to blood, thick darkness, and other calamities. Each plague showed God's power over one of the many gods worshipped by the Egyptians. Number 70, still, instead of releasing the Israelites, Pharaoh increased their burdens. As the Israelites continued to call upon God for deliverance, he heard their cry. Having already cursed the land of Egypt with nine of the ten plagues, God said to Moses, I will bring yet one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, 
He will let you go from here. Exodus 11 verse 1. Number 71. To protect his people against the last plague, God instructed each family to kill a lamb and sprinkle the blood on the top and side of the door openings. The last plague to be was to be the death of the firstborn male of man and beast in all of Egypt except among the Israelites where the blood was on the doors. 72. God said, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Exodus 12, 13. The blood of a lamb saved the Israelites from death. Today, the blood of Jesus saves a person from his past sins. When in obedience to the will of Christ, he becomes a Christian. Of course, right there, if you're studying with someone, you'll want to mark it down. You'll want to read 1 Peter 1 that's mentioned there, uh, verse 18 and 19, where Peter says that we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold or corruptible things such as traditions passed down from generation to generation. Rather, we are redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Christ is our Passover today. Remember this morning, those of you who are able to be in auditorium class, we were noticing how that when Jesus was crucified on the cross, not one of his bones was broken. This was in fulfillment of the Passover lamb back in Exodus 12. They did not break the bones of that lamb when they made uh, the Passover sacrifice. So Jesus is that perfect fulfillment of the Passover lamb. This is, this is key to our study here of the patriarchal age. So just as the blood sprinkled on the doorpost kept the Israelites alive. So Jesus' blood can save us from certain spiritual death today. And so you, you can just elaborate on that as much as you think you need to. You know, John 1.29, John the Baptist pointed out to Jesus and he said, Behold, pointing to Jesus, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Last page here. Top of page uh, 22. Notice number 73. In keeping, with his, in keeping with his promise, the Lord came at midnight. Death entered every house in Egypt where the blood was not found. Even the king's palace did not escape. His eldest, eldest son was found dead after midnight. Following this calamity, Pharaoh ordered the Israelites to leave Egypt immediately. But after they were well on their way out of Egypt, the king changed his mind. He activated all his horses and chariots, his horsemen, and his army to overtake the Israelites. Number 74. We have studied the historical account of the patriarchal age. The creation, the Garden of Eden, the sacrifice for sin... Wickedness and the flood, that was last week for us. And then this evening, Abraham and Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, Joseph in Egypt, Moses' birth, and Moses frees Israel. Our next study will deal with the Mosaic period of Bible history. This will include the Bible record of the birth, 
life and death of Jesus, the Son of God. In 75, as the Israelites left Egypt by the order of Pharaoh, they were experiencing freedom for the first time after generations of slavery. But they soon learned that other crises had to be faced. They would be in need of God's constant care and protection uh, as they made their way on their journey. I want us to notice that little statement here. They experienced freedom for the first time. Those of us this evening who are Christians, do you remember the day that you were baptized? Do you remember the thought? Do you remember the, the emotions? Do you remember the feelings that you have? Do you remember the studying that took place leading up to your baptism? Because when we come out of the waters of baptism, we are released from a slavery. A slavery. A slavery to sin. John 8 and 34, Jesus said, Whoever continues in sin continues to commit sin, becomes a bondservant of sin. And so these pages of the Old Testament preview the salvation, the freedom that can be found in Christ. In the same chapter of John 8 and verse 32, Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And adding to that, remember what Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 17, that you were the servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, you have become the servants of righteousness. We can experience that freedom for the first time. Do you remember how that felt? Do you remember that day? It is a tremendous release. It is, it is the greatest blessing known to mankind, that salvation in Christ. Sometimes we forget. We forget. This was the thrust of Jesus' letter in Revelation 2 to the church in Ephesus because they had left their first love. They had forgotten how, how, it, how special uh, salvation is. They had forgotten the importance of the soul. And they had become stagnant in their relationship with God. They had become inactive in reaching out to others. And Jesus said to them, Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works. That time is so special. As these Israelites left the enslavement of Pharaoh for the first time, how that must have felt. To be able to look upon your children and grandchildren and not have to worry about some soldier coming in and violating them for no reason at all. They're finally free. So we can receive a spiritual freedom through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also on this last page, notice here that when the judgment of God came upon Egypt with that one more plague that no one escaped, not even the king's palace, 
But even Pharaoh's own firstborn son was found dead after midnight. So it will be and so it is that as we are nearing the judgment day, every day we live is a day closer to judgment day even though we don't know when it is. You know, Hebrews 9, 27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. We are nearing that ultimate time. Every breath we take, every day that we, we live. We must remember that it, that day is coming. That ultimate judgment day is coming. And judgment will be for everyone. No one will escape. No one will be excluded. We read from the pen of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in the body, whether it be good or whether it be bad. That day is coming. Just as sure as these things happen upon Pharaoh and Egypt in this day that we've been reading, just so we're sure, we know without a shadow of a doubt that judgment day is coming. We must be ready. These songs that we were singing here a little while ago, I love to tell the story. Is that really true? Does that ring true with, with me? Does that ring true with you? I love to tell the story. And what about that other song? Will I go to Jesus on, on that day? Will I go empty-handed? Will, will there be no other souls that I am bringing with me to the Lord? Will I go empty-handed? Well... These are the reasons why we're taking the time to go through and review much of Bible history, but also to point out the importance of salvation in Christ. It's important to have something in your hand. I can guarantee you this. If you don't have something, some kind of method in your hand, then you're not ever going to lead someone to Christ. None of us will. We have to have some sort of plan. And there are many, this is one booklet that has been used for many years, but there are other good booklets. We have a lot of them out here on display. But if we don't have some sort of strategy, if we don't have the willingness to sit down with someone face to face and just open up the Bible and go through such booklets as this, then they will forever remain lost. And then what will be our condition as we face the Savior on that great day? And so we'll sing now a song of encouragement. Appreciate you going through this period of history uh, this evening. We look forward to our next time that we can do this. But right now let's focus on our own hearts, our own position before our Lord uh, Jesus. And if we can assist you with any spiritual need, please make that known right now as we stand together. Brother Tim, as we stand together as we sing.